Welcome to the RSA Events Podcast, the home of world-changing ideas and debate. Hello everyone, I'm Joanna Schuker, I'm the Director of Design and Innovation here at the RSA, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you all to today's event. I'm delighted to have the chance today to talk to John Alexander and Ariana Conrad about their new book, Citizens. Um, so, the book coming out today. Uh, let me introduce you to John and Ariana first. Uh, John is an activist and strategist. He spent the first decade of his career working in advertising before questioning the impact on society of receiving 3,000 commercial messages a day. In 2014, he co-founded uh, the New Citizenship Project, and that must have uh, been around the time I first met John on a Nesta incubator. Since then, the organization has partnered with the likes of the Co-op, the Body Shop, uh, National Trust, and the BBC. John, it's so great to have you with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Very exciting to be here. Thank you, John. And next, I'll introduce Ariana Conrad. Ariana is an editorial consultant and coach who has built a career turning big ideas into books that can change the world. Having really enjoyed uh, reading Citizens over the last two weeks, I would definitely concur that it holds one of these ideas that have the potential uh, to change the world. Welcome, John and Ariano. It's really, really great to have you. Um, so Citizens is a fascinating exploration of what we need to do to step into a bigger idea of ourselves and those around us as citizens. The book explores different models of citizenship in our modern world and argues why now is the time to shift our narrative from a consumer-led to a citizen-led society. I might ask John to demo his t-shirt in a bit <laughs> with that core message. Um, I was agreeing profusely while reading the book because of how much the core principles underpinning that thinking resonates with the new RSA Regenerative Futures Programme. Um, which is on a mission to grow the potential in individuals and organizations to create a future where people and planet flourish hand in hand and for the long term. So to begin our discussion, um, John, can you tell us a bit more about the core idea behind this book? What's the shift that you're calling for and why has the time come for this now? So thanks and thanks, Jonah, for having us and for, for being part of the RSA. I'm gonna, I am going to briefly demonstrate the T-shirt. Uh, the, the, um, this is a, an upcycle T-shirt, a friend of mine, Julia Roebuck, who's a, who's a craftivist in the Huddersfield area, uh, um, took one of my, uh, this is the reason why it's, why it's acceptable to wear a slightly baggy uh, aging T-shirt for an RSA book launch is because, <laughs> because it very much matches the vibe. So um, these T-shirts, uh, uh, Julia's put together a, a toolkit for making for upcycling your own t-shirt I'll be putting on the website shortly but um but no the, the core idea of the book really is 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 an argument not just that what we need to do but 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 that what is happening is that we're living in a moment in time not just of of collapse not just a moment when something is dying but also in a moment in time when when something very powerful is emerging when 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 a new when a bigger a deeper idea of ourselves as as human beings is is taking shape and potentially taking hold and i think um i guess ultimately the reason for writing the book was to say i think we're we're stuck in a moment in time a little bit when when it's very easy to and particularly in the last few weeks of course it's 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 very uh it's very difficult to stop just staring down into the chasm of, of what appears to be coming our way. 
Um, and, and, but, but I think it's vital that we do. And, it, and when, we, when we sort of can break the, the lens of seeing ourselves and, and, and being surrounded by these messages that encourage ourselves to see ourselves as consumers, uh, that, that, that speak to us as individuals, that encourage us to, that keep us trapped in an idea that our only agency is our individual behavior, uh, and, and start to see ourselves instead as citizens, as people who, who really find meaning when we come together, who, who find power when we come together and are capable of doing astonishing things. I think that we start to see a different story emerging, whether it's looking at the way business is changing, whether it's looking at the way uh, charities and, and movements are beginning to organize themselves by tapping into people's power, not just sort of mobilizing and, and doing transactions, or, or whether it's looking at governments that all over the world are starting to tap into the ideas, energy and resources of people, not just sort of rule over them and, and campaign for their votes at elections. I think, I think you start to be able to see, no, we're in a really exciting moment in time. Yes, a very painful and tragic, and, and I don't want to be glib about any of that but also a moment where there's, where there's so much up for grabs as well. Thank you, John. And it would be really useful. I really enjoyed um, the start, the, you know, how the book started talking about the experience you've had and your career trajectory and how that led you onto the idea behind Citizen. So it'd be really useful for you to elaborate on your own background and actually coincidentally reading about the beginnings of your career in advertising and how you saw advertising as your mechanism for greater uh, good really resonates with my own career journey. I think we both started our first jobs in 2003 in the advertising um, industry, so that same year, and mine was at Saatchi and Saatchi, and I also thought I could change the world through advertising, so similar illusions, and obviously our career trajectories have sort of diverged significantly from there. But yeah, tell us a little bit more about how these very early experiences that you had at the beginning of your career led to that pivotal shift towards the idea behind citizens. Sure. So, I mean, you mentioned the, the frame of 3000 commercial messages a day, and, and that actually was part of how my first boss in advertising described my job to me. He said, uh, you've got to remember the average consumer sees 3000 commercial messages a day. Actually, the latest ethnography studies and so on suggest it could be anything up to as many as 10,000 uh in the current day because that was as you say joe unfortunately 20 years ago i can't believe we're that old but never mind uh but 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 and then he said and your job is to cut through that you've got to make yours the best of those three thousand. and for a while i was kind of happy with the intellectual challenge the the competitive vibe of that but over time i began to ask more and more questions about what we're what we're doing to ourselves really when 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 we are surrounded by that story by I, i've drawn the analogy sometimes with with um with you know church bells and the call to prayer and, and these sorts of things like we, we are effectively telling ourselves a story about who we are and what our role is in the world on a on a constant basis and i i fell into the industry really sort of quite soon after after 9 11 and and the leaders of the so-called free world sort of telling us that the, the, that what we could do to defend our way of being our way of life was to was to go shopping and i did think i was sort of doing the good work but, but very quickly began, and I think, and I think, as a result of working in advertising, I have a, I have an, un, I have quite a deep understanding of, of of that world and the fact that most people in it are there from a from a desire to provide something creative, provide a provide a way of experiment with different ways of being and doing, and yet have got trapped in that one story. So yeah, I think I think the the the, the work I've done and the the career trajectory I've had have have maybe shaped and given me a way of, of seeing 
not not just seeing consumerism as a kind of unalloyed evil that's you can just sort of kick out the door but as a story that has an appeal that needs to be understood but ultimately is is collapsing and threatens to take us down yeah, amazing i love that um you know the consumer story had its time it's, it's sort of run its course and now we need a different kind of story in response to the challenges and the emergencies that we are we are facing um Ariana, I'd, I'd love to um, come to you and ask you about, um, you know, what, what was it in John's work that really excited you to partner together on this book? What, what, what captured your interest? Well, it's obvious. Uh, anyone who's been in the presence of John Alexander can feel that, that uh, sparkle. Um, so, you know, clearly, uh, I think there's an attraction to someone who uh, has so much optimism, um, especially at this, this moment in history. Uh, and the, the idea I think has a lot of, um, you know, I talk a lot about uh, how it's, it's, it's easy, it's too easy to critique things. And we have a lot of, um, you know, and, and very effective critiques of uh, what's wrong with the world. And what we really need, I think are um, robust, exciting visions that we can step into um, and you know, f future visions that look, that, that hold some hope for us. And so clearly this, you know, the citizen idea, I think um, holds that potential. And it's, you know, I, I think resonating with people already the advanced copies and um, it's, it's exciting. You know, for me, it was um, important that it wasn't just a critique of consumerism or the consumer. Um, I think I worked on a book uh, back in 20, that came out in 2010 called The Story of Stuff, which was, you know, a very grounded uh, critique of, of consumption and consumerist society. And I think, um, I think the consumerist critiques tend to feel a lot of people feeling guilty, you know, during the pandemic, especially during lockdown and isolation. Um, consumption was brought great comfort to people. So the route is, you know, for me is not um, finger waggling at, you know, making making people feel bad for for consumption. Um, it's about it's about calling calling in, not calling out, right? And and um, and I I think that's why it's such an such an appealing, exciting idea. Yeah, that's great. And actually, I do remember, um, you know, the story of things that really did create quite an awakening at the time. Um, and I'm really interested because obviously you've worked on, you know, a number of um, books with sort of these powerful ideas at the core. Um, so from your experience, you know, what power do these ideas like the one proposed in Citizens have to change the world? And how do these ideas take hold? You know, for me, um... There's a, there's a lot of excitement in this book. For me, the most exciting part is the third section. Uh, when we developed that, when John and I developed that, um, the third section of the book focuses on um, the applications in three sectors, um, in the nonprofit or charity sector, in the business sector, and then in government. And I think for a lot of us, you know, there are, there are already a lot of books that encourage participation. There, there are books that um, prompt us to get more involved, whether it's in activism or, you know, politics. Um, 
but where we often where we often get stuck is you know the the sort of the the overwhelm and the inflexibility of these complex organizations that we're all we're all interacting with we're either you know working inside of them or having to deal with them um, on all different levels and they feel so difficult to shift um, so I think that you know for me that part of the book is the truly sort of you know exciting exciting part in terms of where it can make an impact um, and where people can really I think we'll we'll talk about it probably more in a minute um, but where people can take very concrete um, practices that are based on John's work at the new citizenship project with all of these different kinds of organizations and actually really shift it's like it's this you know sort of magical it, it feels almost magical when John has has shifted John and the new citizenship project team has um, has shifted the behaviors of these of these huge sort of you know unwieldy where we're like how can we possibly sh you know shift government we're so stuck um, and so I think that's um, I mean it, so I do believe um, that that books can change the world I do believe that big ideas can change the world it's obviously it's you know <laughs> it's the foundation of, of what I do um, and I do believe that this one can Amazing. Um, so you've started to touch on this and I'm keen to sort of dive into some of the detail, particularly for those joining us who haven't, um, you know, who, who want to find out more about citizens and are keen to, to dive in and, and read the book. Um, we touched briefly on, you know, the, the consumer story and the citizen story. Um, so it would be really great to maybe um, unpack what that means um, for our listeners um, today. Um, what what are these different stories about you also talk, talk about the subject story so the sort of transition from the subject story to the consumer story to the citizen story and how deeply these define the kind of impact we have on the world so yeah can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by these three stories and we'll come on to examples maybe and 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 you know really bring that to life in a second but just maybe just to define what these three stories look like yeah, sure. I'll, I'll start and Ariana might chip in because I think um, I'll, I'll sort of give a hint at how she she helped me sort of really challenge and develop this this sort of central thesis, which is the central thesis, which is basically to say that um, at any given time uh, in, in, in the history of humanity, really, there's a there's a dominant story. And it's quite a deep fundamental thing. We tend to think that we sort of we're, we're parents and citizens and consumers and shareholders and employees and all and we play these different roles. But at any given time, what we're arguing is that that there's a deep story that, that actually sits underneath these and, and manifests in pretty much every one of them. And, and at the end of the 19th century, and, and for quite a long time up until that point, a very long time uh, up until that point, the dominant story was something like the subject. And so, and as subjects, the right thing to do is to keep your head down, do as you're told, get what you're given on the basis that the God-given few who kind of run society know best and they'll lead us to the best outcomes for society as a whole. So it's a, it's a thesis about what's, what the right way of doing things is for the best outcomes. And that, that story kind of fell apart at the end of the 19th century, as I say, through the industrial revolution, the rise of the middle class, it just couldn't hold anymore. And, and through the course of two world wars uh, and out the other side, what you get is a shift in story. 
And, and, and the story that takes hold after the two world wars is, is something like the consumer story. So if subject is keep your head down, the, con the consumer story says the right thing to do is to look out for number one, to get the best deal for yourself, to choose the option that suits you best from those that are offered on the basis that individual self-interest will aggregate to collective interest that it's the sort of um it's, it's it's logic that's encompassed in milton friedman writing the social responsibility of is of businesses to maximize its profits but in and the idea that that choosing choose it voting for the for the party that best appeals to your self-interest is the right thing to do and 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 is the limit of your political duty and what we're arguing really in the book is that is that this moment in time that we're living in is the collapse of that story just as the subject story fell apart before and and but also that what might be emerging is what what is emerging and what could take hold is what we call the citizen story and actually that this uh as i think i'll prompt ariana to, to reflect on is is actually a deeper truth of humanity that's kind of always been there and rises up in these moments of shift and change and and the, if so if subject says keep your head down do as you're told consumer says get look out for number one citizen says something like get involved share your ideas energy and resources to the search in the search for the best outcomes for society as a whole and, and encourage others to do so as well because it's precisely because all of us are smarter than any of us that 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 our collective intelligence is greater than any one any single individual's intelligence that that is how we'll we'll reach the best outcomes for society as a whole and I, I kind of went into the book and, and into the conversation with Ariana thinking that I was just telling a story about the last hundred years, but, but you've really challenged that, haven't you? Uh, in which way are you talking about? <laughs> Well, the the idea that 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 there was that the subject story had kind of just sort of strolled along into nothing, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to line up your understanding of, uh, of of your your challenge to me to see the citizen story throughout history as something that's always been there and and risen in these times. Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that actually came through for me as well. I think it was particularly particularly when you were talking about sort of the work that you were doing with um, organizations like the National Trust that had much more heritage and history and how actually there were aspects of the subject story inherent in that history as well as the consumer story that you could also find the citizen story in you know in some particular moments in that history um, so I think looking at you know obviously there were dominant stories at particular points in time but that some of these stories are still running their course and um, what I found really useful was actually this table um, at the very beginning of the book, which actually defines possibly maybe like the different um, ways we look at agency, capacity, mindsets um, in these in these three different stories. And I it really resonated with some of the patterns I'm I was spotting and you know some of the change work I've been leading on in communities within organizations, etc. So sort of very much an aha moment for me um, looking at that looking at that table and how that idea carries through through the, the rest of the book. Um, maybe to, to bring that to life um, a bit more, um, can you maybe share a couple of stories, um, maybe of individuals or organizations who um, have been championing the citizen story? What does that look like you know, in, in, in any sector or any scale? <laughs> I'll go. For, I'll go first, and then and then Ariana, you chip in as well. But I am. I, um, I think that the key. Uh, I guess the kind of revelation really is when you when you start to go. Actually, we are all citizens. We're humans are citizens by nature, and we're citizens. And citizens 
are doing this stuff everywhere already. This isn't a kind of, as I said at the beginning, this isn't a kind of moral argument for what should happen, so much as it is a sort of empirical argument as what as as to what is happening and what could be stepped into. And so um, th this is why we chose to begin the book with these five stories of emblematic citizens in, in different aspects of society and, and parts of the world who are, who are despite sort of quite unexpected, quite difficult circumstances, the kind in the kind of environments where you, where you wouldn't expect this stuff to be happening, are doing it anyway. And really, I guess, in some ways, my favourite is, is, is my, my now dear friend Billy in, in Grimsby, and it's partly because like the, the story of our moment in time in the UK would have us would have people believe that Billy and I are kind of in we, we're sort of the warring parties like Billy's Billy's from a left behind community who and 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 all this sort of nonsense and 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 actually what we we found ourselves finding that we're, we're more similar and more have more in common than, than almost anyone I've met and and what Billy's doing in Grimsby is like it started just with with litter picks and and sort of people coming together and picking up picking up trash and and just deciding that they would find their own way of doing things together and it's evolved into this organization East Marsh United that's that's just this week launched a community share offer to, to raise half a million pounds to buy which in Grimsby can buy you 10 houses and refurbish them to become essentially become a social housing operator as but but as a completely kind of community led sort of uh, from the grassroots really almost in almost in spite of the systems and structures that surround it not because of them and I think that that vibe of people like just getting together getting organized and but but critically recognizing that pretty much wherever you look if you peel back the surface of the story that we're told if you peel back the headlines you find it so I don't know I don't know what your favorite story would be Ariana but but Billy in many ways speaks yeah, I uh, what one of my favorite things about all of the the five citizens profiled at the beginning is how much they embody the amateur spirit, uh, and we talk about how, you know, the um, power power in almost every institution is held by people who all tend to look the same way. They depending on the sector, they were all educated in the same group, you know, select group. They're um, you know, they all got their MBAs from one of three, if they're in the finance sector, they, you know, all got their MBAs from one of three schools, three top schools, or if they're in government, they got one of two degrees um, from a also a handful of schools. And, you know, how much innovation and creativity are we, you know, can we possibly expect to see? And so these, these folks are amateurs in, in terms of, um, the sectors that they're impacting often, not, not without um, exception, I would say. We tell the story of Emmy in Birmingham and she certainly has some training, I think that was useful. But as a whole, I think that's one of the things that really sh shines through in their stories is that they're not, um, they don't have the letters behind their name that we expect that we expect people in charge to have. And because of that, there's a lot of power to them, the power of, you know the the root of amateur being to love and and that that love um and passion is what they're bringing to the table and for me probably my favorite is probably kennedy odede um and you know there was we had wow you know like infinite wealth the, the challenging part for this part of the book was you know picking from uh, uh, 
there was a section that actually got cut a little bit <laughs> where um, John, you know, looked around the world at all the other people that he could have profiled in place of um, the five that were chosen. And it was like, it went on for pages and pages and pages and pages. And our editor was like, you know, maybe this should, this is maybe starting to feel a little overwhelming or something, but it's like, you know, endless. And, you know, for me, um, one of the reasons why I love Kennedy's story is that, you know, he is emblematic of how much in the um, developing world or whatever term you want to use um, for the not, you know, global north slash the west, um, there is no absence of power in, in those communities, um, whether we're looking at Kibera, which is the slum that um, Kennedy was born in and has made huge, huge changes in, or in the favelas in Rio, or in some of the refugee camps, um, you know, that end up going from being temporary places to being essentially permanent places for people and people are on it, right? They don't need Western um, development aid. They don't need Western experts to come in. Um, and so for me, those are, those are my favorite stories. Thank you both. And yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, Kennedy's story was incredible. And, you know, reading the beginnings of his journey, I, I remember thinking, gosh, like, you know, it just feels like one obstacle after the other. How could this story possibly turn a corner? Because, you know, when you are living absolutely on that brink of poverty um, and deprivation, you know, where, where does the opportunity, you know, where does, where does your agency what can your agency, your sense of agency do when the whole system is up against you? So absolutely inspiring um, to find out more about um, his work. Um, well, I, think, I think if I may, that's Vera. the sort of, that's right at the heart of this, that the, in a sense, the core idea, the core challenge that the book makes to all of us is, is that we are citizens by nature, that the humans are by nature collaborative, creative, caring creatures who, who can and want to get involved in shaping the world and are doing it. And, and, yeah. and the sort of, um, I guess the sort of uh, the deficit based worldview, the idea that people are kind of by nature lazy and selfish, which is really what we mean when we say consumer. And, and we do take that kind of quite uh, almost, it's, it's quite deeply implied. It's like the water we swim in. Uh, on a day-to-day -day basis that that's who people are and and the theories of change that result from that are all theories of change that are about making it easy and making it making it sexy and making it because people don't really care about anyone other than themselves and yet like on a constant basis we see that we see that disproven especially in this moment in time like I just the other day I was um I, I don't know what the numbers are now but uh, just a couple of days ago I was reading that um that nearly 90,000 people have 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 signed up to take in the UK have signed up to take a, a Ukrainian family into their home uh even though and and, and someone someone was right there was an article in the guardian i think that said something like this incredible show has has crashed a website and i'm like hang on a minute i'm pretty sure two years ago i read an almost identical article about how uh, a website for nhs first responders crashed within 48 hours because it wasn't designed for anywhere near enough traffic like might it just be that actually we're not lazy selfish individuals who are just out for ourselves but we actually really really want the opportunity to help in a way that's meaningful and commensurate with the scale of the challenges we face and when we're offered that we'll lean into it and like i think and i think that that sort of that reframe that idea of going like 
and also refugees aren't, aren't some sort of cost on a system. They're, they're, these are human beings who can and want to make a contribution. They don't want to be passengers on anything. And look at look at what they're doing in their own country. Like we 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 we'd be lucky to have these people. And I think that that kind of vibe is all of these things is. And this is why I think like ideas matter so much because you while you work with the same frame of ideas, while you work from within the same stories. This is this is sort of systems thinking, right? Like Jay, this is this is your territory. Like that, while we are working from within the mindsets and paradigms and stories that that gave us the system we have, we'll never really get out of it. And so the power of ideas is really to say, well, what might we do if we were able to think of this with a different set of tools and a different set of words, and and we would then be able to create a different set of outcomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's it's it's really it feels really key to recognize that this is really pushing for a very different worldview, um, for a different, very different way of you know seeing people's capacity in the world. Um, and you sort of talked about some of that, you know, some of this is cynicism around well, you know, people are selfish, people um, focus on you know the benefits of the individual, not the collective. Um, and, and I really want to maybe dive into a little bit more of that because there are, and you mentioned some of these sort of arguments in, in your book, and we've heard a lot of them, particularly in the context of sort of participation or these sort of very radical paradigm shifts where it means that the whole system needs to be reacting and responding very differently to the way that we know it. So, you know, limiting individuals to um, the power that you have as your purchasing choice or your the power that you have as a citizen is who you vote for. That's the limitation of your power. Um, so then challenging that to actually say, actually, we are, your people are the, the ones who can totally reinvent their realities and the realities of their communities and their future generations. So I'm really keen to maybe tap into some of these sort of typical arguments. Um, so we've heard, I think you mentioned in the book, you know, um, is participation a way of co-opting the voices of others you know particularly when organizations do that when governments do that is it a way of co-opting co the voices of others to deliver on the purpose of that organization or that you know, government body and i think you refer to that as citizen washing in the book there's also the argument that we hear a lot which is well people don't really know what they want and they really don't know how to do it. So the experts need to do it for them. You know, if we asked people what they wanted, they would have just said a faster horse, that kind of like forward metaphor. Um, but yeah, how would you respond to some of these? And I'm sure you've had, you've been grappling with a lot of these you know, over, over your recent career when, when that idea was sort of starting to take shape for you. I mean, look, I, I guess, and again, I, I look at these sorts of things and just go, well, it's almost I, I almost don't want to stare at them too much because I just think they're so they're such sort of lazy outdated arguments and it's like and it's just it's just much more exciting to be going well look at what we could do and the the the, the story in the book that the, the bit of research that um we did and and Ariana will remember this this work as well very dearly it was like when I when we were digging into the Taiwanese government and how that how their how their government has transformed over the last decade, but particularly their role, the way they've approached the the challenges of the pandemic. And the 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 sort of it's 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 really going like 
if people were lazy and selfish, if people didn't like, if people weren't full of, uh, and as Ariana referred to this idea of the, the different sort of expertises and the different in inspirations and the different views, if they didn't, if they couldn't add up to something whole, then a story like this would never have happened. So in, in Taiwan, like, I'll just give the, the example of the, the COVID response, there's deep story underneath it, but, but they talked about the response as being fast, fun and fair. And, the, and it was characterized by this thing of going, well, actually, like the best response we could possibly build would be a response that tapped into all of our ideas. And this came down to even some really like nuts and bolts, like very basic stuff like they, they very sort of like you think of Taiwan as this high tech nation. But what one of the key things they did was set up a phone line where any citizen could ring in with ideas for how the country's response could be better with a voicemail recorded by the president herself. I mean, like there's this lovely story that we tell of a six-year-old boy ringing up with an idea to make face masks cooler by involving the national baseball team. And, and three days later, having half the baseball team on the national press conference. Like th these things just aren't possible if people are, if people are lazy and rubbish, right? Like, and so, so I don't really, I don't, I almost don't want to bother staring at anyone. We do deal with them, but, um, and and like and actually in the academic work you will find you're seeing that that the most of these things are being blown out of the water like i mean my my favorite is the is the is the juxtaposition of the language of the sort of richard dawkins language of the selfish gene which whether it was exactly what dawkins meant or not has has been interpreted as like every, like the guiding force of of evolution is selfishness with them um, with with this wonderful woman at, at, at ucl called nicola Riani, who who's, who's just published a book called the social instinct about how the selfishness of genes actually shows up in collaboration and cooperation at the level of organ and and like that sort of flip is we, like it's happening in academia we're understanding that actually co cooperation and, and and collaboration are as much drivers of, of evolution as cooperation as competition and status it's happening but it, but it's the practice it's the sort of the fact that this is transforming the behavior of nation states transforming the behavior of corporations transforming like everything that is that is where i i go i don't know i don't know ariana about you where you where you sort of got most excited I just think, you know, all of all of those um, rebuttals <laughs> to participation and uh, our caring, creative, concerned, true natures, all of the rebuttals come out of the old stories, right? Um, and that's that's the way these things work. Um, and and um, yeah, so like. I don't know. I, I I think the the I think I'm I'm feeling it from from John here as well. It's like it's the least interesting part of things. It's like really you know really are you going to claim you know nature red in tooth and claw you know really I, I'm reading the dawn of everything right now by um, David Graber Graber um, and Wingrow and it's like you know we just like why why have we been pursuing these these you know, stories of, of humanity for, for so long. Like we can just flip the script, which they're doing excellently, but let's focus on citizens. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and um, I'm keen to sort of maybe touch on, you know, lots of organiza organizational leaders, um, change makers within organizations will be reading this book, will be hugely inspired, no doubt, by this book. And you talk in the book, you write in the book um, about maybe some of the challenges that some of these organizations who've been on that journey have faced. 
can you share a little bit more about, you know, what, what would organizations expect to face? You talked about the magnetic pull of the other two stories of the consumer and the subject story. We described these at the RSA as like the immune response of the systems, like you try and do something and then you just like bounce back. Um, but can you sort of maybe um, share, you know, what challenges would organizations expect to see? Obviously, we know the opportunities are vast, but what challenges would they expect to see if they want to make the, the most of the this opportunity that the citizen story presents? I think, um, so I, I sort of want to uh, tell you about uh, Speaker Wang, who's, who became my hero in this. And he's the he was the Speaker of the Taiwanese Parliament when, uh, when they, the, the, the sort of transformation was taking place, this was pre-COVID, long pre-COVID, this was in about 2014, the, the, uh, uh, there was an Occupy style protest in the parliament, uh, students occupied the legislature and uh, uh, but, but what they were doing when they occupied the parliament was they were debating the clauses of a trade bill with China that, that the government was trying to trying to push through. And, and Speaker Wang could easily have thrown those people out and he was under serious pressure to do so. Um, because, like from 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 the consumer story, they the, the 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 that was the story that was kind of dominant at the time, and it was like actually people mo people just want to like keep quiet and go shopping. Like there's there's not that many there's not that much kind of hunger for this. It's not that many students. Da, da, da. We just need to get back to growing the economy. And 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 Speaker Wang would never have been held up and vilified if he'd done what he was told. And he's not heroized for for having done what he did do. And what he did do was he said, no, this is what this space is for. This is what democracy looks like. And, and he endorsed it. And, and in that moment of validation, he flipped the, flipped the narrative, flipped the frame. And, and I think the reason why I go there and answer your question is to say, I think in a lot of ways that, that is what Ariana was saying, really, that the, the great challenge that we face is that these stories manifest in so many ways uh, and, and you will not be shot, you will not be, sorry, bad use of language in this moment in time, you will, you will not be vilified, you will not be criticised for, for, for going along with them. Because the, the, the incentive structures, the, the, the job descriptions, the, all of them are written, the, the meeting rooms, the, the, the names on the doors, the, 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 the logos of the organ, everything is, is structured from within, those, from within those stories, one of them, if not both. And, and so you'll never be you'll never be in trouble for not doing that. But if you but but really, actually, the deepest thing, I think. Uh, and so and so that and that's how that what that's that for me is what the gravitational pull looks like. But the deepest thing, I think the the, the deepest uh, barrier, the most the strongest barrier is is where we where we kind of close the book. And, and this came out of quite a sort of personal journey of that Ariana was big part of kind of challenging me on, which is, which, which is this idea of the hero complex, right? Like, I, I actually don't think that the biggest challenge that we face in, in trying to make this transition is, is people of ill will or, or even, even the sort of the subject story reasserting itself and the rise of authoritarianism and so on. I think that, I think the biggest barrier is, um, and I say this uh, as as the embodiment of the system, right? Like I'm a I'm a 40 year old white guy, six foot tall, straight. Like I'm I'm a, I'm about as like much the embodiment of this as as you can have. And I've been brought up to to almost conditioned to see myself as a as a as a hero, to to want to kind of come to the rescue. 
and 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 the nature of this work is that is that is that it has to, coming to the rescue diminishes everybody else's agency it diminishes the agency of those who actually need to do the work and i think that the the the, the deepest barrier is 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 frankly people like me in positions of power who look and sound like me stepping away and 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 and, and holding and offering the space yes yes we have a role to play but actually, it's it's a role that's about passing the mic and opening the door, not a role that's about sort of being the being the knight in shining armor. And I see I see Ariana looking at me with a smile of a kind of almost a proud mother or something. So I kind of want to hear that reflection. But but I think that's that's a big part. It was just very nicely articulated, you know. Um, yes, you know the 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 ego the ego of um, the. Uh, the white men who have been in power is one of the main obstacles, I think. Um, and it's, that was nicely said, Mr. Alexander. I am feeling like a proud mother. <laughs> <laughs> that does make a lot of sense. Sort of how do you how do you take less space? How do you take a step back and let others lean into the change? And how do you how are you there to you know to create that space and to to help facilitate these opportunities? Um, so to maybe end on a very practical note, um, you share towards the end of the book, um, seven modes of everyday participation. So very practical recommendations that you know, any organization, community, group could consider um, if they want to lead more into that citizen story. Can you tell us more about these seven modes? Sure. I mean, what where they come from really is this idea of, of, a, of a sort of, a reframe of, of what the what the conceptual framework that you need to work with as an organization in this space is and I think when I was digging into the research I got very overexcited and and um, and maybe too overexcited by the idea that that so many of the thinking patterns that we've in, that we've got come from the consumer story in particular and one of those is that is what's called the four p's the marketing mix product price positioning and placement or something like that and this this sort of is so present in so much of our thinking uh unconsciously or otherwise it's still it's in like the, the marketing mix the original textbook i think is in its 23rd edition having been first published in 1950 or something and what what we what we try and offer in the book is, a, is really an antidote to that we talk about the three principles of participatory organizations we talk about purpose platform and prototype so what are you trying to do in the world as purpose how do you how do you make it possible for people to be part of that work as platform like what what opportunities do you give people to get involved so they can do it with you and and it be done by them not by you and then and then this idea of prototype like how do you build the energy for it because you can't just flip a switch and transform overnight and the, the seven modes of everyday participation are essentially just sort of thought cues for that for that work of platform it's like what if you thought of people as being able to to tell the stories rather than you telling the stories the, the organization telling the stories what if you what if you thought of people as as, as able and willing to gather data as we see in the sort of the, the rapidly growing citizen science movement what if we thought of people as as wanting to give time and and, and give their resource as we see in this this moment on as we as i already referred to a kind of not just in the uk but people all over europe driving to the ukrainian border and self-organizing to take people into their homes like if you if there's a structure and a way of way of contributing like so and so on and so forth like learning skills people want to sort of understand how they can be part of stuff but i think i mean 
And there's all sorts of stories and examples from from organisations big and small, from 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 sort of Brewdog to the co-op and down to um, this lovely startup called Yup in Bristol that's 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 getting people to um, helping helping little local retailers and and shops to to offer experiences like like helping a florist run flower arranging courses rather than just sell flowers. Like the, these sorts of things are, are are amazing business models that are emerging every. Um, but but I guess if I had to give people a kind of a closing note and a kind of a, a, a place to start, I think I would probably end where we end where we end the book, which is which is with a, a sort of a single question actually, because while while all these tools are useful, but unless you're willing to ask a question, then then you're not going to use them. And the question is is really like what what would you actually do in this moment in time if if you really believed in yourself but also in those around you like if you saw people as citizens if you started if you had in your mind people are collaborative caring creatures they want to get involved but they, they, they want to get involved at a level that's commensurate with the scale of the challenges we face how could we in this organization give people a chance to contribute in that way if we really believed in people what would we do and I, I like the, the story, the moment in the research that just made my mind explode was was interviewing Audrey Tang, the Taiwan's digital minister. And I said, like, to do all this stuff, like people must really trust the Taiwanese government. And the response was like, we don't actually want people to trust the government. We, we would rather people were sort of holding us to account and da, da, da. what we want. What I really care about is that the government trusts people. And it was just this moment of going, oh, right. And so if I leave people with anything, that would be where I would want to leave them. Absolutely. Yeah, that's incredible. We hold the space for that question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was that that really resonated. But fundamentally, this was about believing in people, trusting people and actually caring about people. A lot of that. You know, holds strict and care. Um, thank you both so much. It's been fascinating uh, talking to you and your work has actually really got us thinking um, at the RSA about how the citizen story can be recentered in our own work as an organization. Um, we started over 250 years ago as a membership organization uh, running open challenge prizes, so very participatory. Um, and uh, we've definitely felt the gravitational pull of the subject story, the consumer story along the way. So you've really inspired us um, to ensure that we're recentering our citizens, so our fellows and our partners in all that we do. John, uh, Ariana, thank you so much for that and for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, for everyone who's joined us uh, today, I'm afraid that's all the time we've got uh, for right now. Um, if you're eager to learn more about the ideas we've discussed, I highly recommend uh, John and Ariana's book, Citizens. The book is out today and information on where to get a copy will be appearing uh, live in the chat now. So do look out for a discount code to use uh, when you shop at Foils. <laughs> Very practical. Um, you'll also find links in the live chat to the RSA's Regenerative Features Programme webpage, uh, where you can read more about what we're working on right now that resonates with the mission of citizens. Thank you again to John and Ariana, and thank you all for watching. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head to our YouTube channel for inspiring talks, interviews, and animations.